cross already on a yellow card. Plenty in the middle to aim at. I think David Jones might put this in. Just get it right in the mix. Trippier does just that. It's headed away by company. Hello again and welcome to From the BOLN, the Burnley podcast. Lots and lots to get through this week and later we'll have all the gang on in the second half of the show to go through the latest transfer news and all the news out of Turf Moor. But well, the eagle-eared amongst you will have noticed a slight change to our intro music there. And yes, that's because the man who scored that goal against Manchester City in our famous 1-0 win is with us as a special guest. He's here, he's there. He's everywhere, and now he's on the BLN too. Welcome to George Boyd. Hello, everyone. Hope you're all well. We are. We are. I'm really looking forward to talking to you, George. Appreciate you giving us your time on this. Let's start off with that goal, though. I mean, is that the one that, you know, when, you, when you've got kids or mates or people ask you to sort of, you know, show a bit of your career, is that the one you go on YouTube to show? Is that the, is that the highlight moment, do you think? Yeah, that's the one. I never get tired of hearing that that commentary and, and watching that goal. I always get asked that question, what's your favourite goal? And that, for me, that definitely was. I mean, that stage, that stage of the season where we needed a win and I always say that atmosphere at Turf that day was, was the best that I've ever experienced. Um, absolutely rocking um, when I scored and, and to get the win against the champions was, was just the icing on the cake. And Vincent Company's sort of misdirected header was the one that went to you. That's an interesting little twist on it all, isn't it now? I oh, know, it's funny how it all comes around, don't it? Um, because it's obviously one of the best centre-halves ever in the Premier League and well, he's just got his head on it and, and lucky it's bounced out to me on the edge of the area and I've caught it really sweetly and it's gone in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You don't have to say, luckily it went in, which yeah. is what footballers tend to say when they've scored an absolute screamer. But um, just, you know, I mean, obviously we've got Manchester City first game up on the return to the Premier League. And, you know, for all the changes that have gone on at Burnley that we'll get into later, you know, the reality is we're still going into that game exactly as we were back then, as the underdogs playing against the champions. Um, you know, how do you prepare and how did Sean prepare you for those sort of games against the big six where you're going in, you know you're the underdog and chances are going to be few and far between? What Was it different preparation than it would have been for a home game against, I don't know, Norwich or someone? Uh, he always said it, they're all, all the same, every game is the same, but I think you do when you play the big boys. I think first and foremost, he wants us to be very solid, two banks of four, and, and make it hard for the big teams to uh, break us down. And I think we always were. They never really got battered, did we, by, by the big boys? Um, and then I think just getting their faces, do stuff that they're not used to, like with have Barnsley up front elbowing people and players of that that level are not used to, to not used to that are they They're getting in their faces they have time on the ball so I think it was just making them uncomfortable and then trying to get out of like strengths across with even if it's a, a diagonal up to the, to the big man Voxy or Barnsley it's just trying to get them uncomfortable and then try and play in their third when we do get a chance but um, I mean, we didn't have much of the ball in those games so um, yeah it was nice when we actually got a touch of it. 
But did he did he like fire you up like in a sort of you know come on these are the fancy dance these guys are on millions a week and all that you know we'll show them what we're made of was he like that or did, was it like business as usual? No, no, definitely business as usual. And, and you sort of see it's a free hit like no one expects you to to win here and go out and play without any um, any pressure and and just play our own game. So I think he he tried to play it down a bit um, and try and express himself um, without any pressure really. We'll get to the guys' questions in a minute, but I, I've got one question about, you know, coming into the Premier League into a new season. You obviously did that after a promotion campaign. Um, the step-up in level, everybody talks about a step-up in level going into the Premier League. As a player, what do you notice immediately when you get on the field in the Premier League as compared to the Championship as being the sort of main differences? I think it's the quality in both ends of the boxes, um, defensively and attackingly. Um, I mean, my day with the Hull, we I played, came on, actually Cole, I was against on, on the right wing, and the skills that have got me up through the levels just didn't work um, against Ashley Cole. So I think you have to adapt your own game, and obviously you're playing against world-class players. So um, I think both ends of the boxes, they're so, so quick and so sharp that um, everything has to be... Well, near on perfect to, to to make it count and get, and get a shot or get a goal. Grizzly? Yeah, just I, I know you saw a lot of Burnley last season, and I know you did a few commentaries with Birdie, and we were chatting uh, a bit before about kind of Birdie's commentary, and we heard it there in the intro. What did you make of Burnley last season, and how do you think that style that Vincent brought in will do in the Premier League? in terms of a style, if you will, because obviously we've got players that we know perhaps aren't at that level. You know, they are the underdogs, as Simon said, but the style of play, how do you think that's revolutionised what we see at Turf Moor, but how do you think that might get on this season? Yeah, I think it'll suit the, the Premier League even more because Championship's very much in your face. Um, you'll have a lot more time on the ball in the Premier League. So I think obviously they're playing from the back and people are not going to press as much as, as they did in the Championship. So I think that will help and, one thing I did notice last year was how many times we won at the end of the game. It would be 2-2, two, 2-1 two, two, down, late, late goals, um, which shows the fitness levels of the team and the belief and character. So that would be massive next season. Um, I never know when they're beaten. Um, obviously, you will be behind a lot in, in the Premier League because they're better teams, but that never-say-die attitude, which I saw a lot last year, will, will be massive. Yeah, and we kind of touched on it with the kind of step up, but in terms of... I mean, we could have all guessed that opening fixture, couldn't we? Manchester City versus Burnley. I mean, you know, Vincent versus Pep, the, you know, apprentice versus the sorcerer. How can, what kind of surprise do you think Vincent Company can can play against a City? I mean, Burnley have been back in pre-season training since before City had even finished their season. I think that's the, yeah. that's right. So you talked about the fitness levels. Do you think there'll be any surprises for for? Guardiola or do you think he will know exactly what Burnley are going to be like? Uh, I don't think he, he, he went away from how they played last season, did he? I think it was, it was pretty much the same standard style of play. Um, I think fitness levels will be big, as you say. Like they, They've only just been in pre-season a few weeks, had a long trip in Japan, weren't they, recently? So um, I think you can only take the FA Cup game where Burnley played really well to start with, didn't they? And um, and the scoreline obviously flattered them at the end, but I think that's the difference. They they can go and blitz teams five or six nil. Um, but at turf at home, you'd you'd hope that the uh, company and the boys get their style of play and put it on City um, straight from the off and, and see if they can handle pressure. 
So going back to when you first joined Burnley, how did that move transpire? How did it come about? And what were your initial impressions of Burnley prior to the move? And what were your impressions once you did move and your impressions of Daesh overall? Um, well, first it came about, I was at Hull, not really, I think I, was on, I wasn't even on the bench. I was in the stand with Harry Maguire for that first game, actually, funny enough, at Hull. Um, they'd brought Robert Snodgrass in, so I knew I wasn't really going to play. Um, and as soon as I knew the opportunity of, Burnley were interested. I think when I spoke to Sean, he said I, he didn't think Steve Bruce would let me go and sort of off the off chance because he saw I wasn't in the squads, said I would be available and to play Premier League week in, week out it was huge for me. So this is the only time a manager's ever done that. He met me um, at the hotel and he drove me around Burnley so it showed me places where I could live and never had a manager do that to me. So that, that took me back and straight away I was like, I want to play for this man. Um, because that man management's huge um, for me. Um, and it was all done pretty quickly within a couple of hours. And um, that was it. I was done. Straight in the Worsley in Manchester and then um, trying to find somewhere to live. Excellent. I don't think I'd draft somebody around Burnley to sell it to him, but that's fair. Uh, well, I remember Heats, uh, Heats, Tom Heaton, he, he rented um, when he first um, signed. He had a lovely place in the hills. Um, and he showed me that as well. But I mean, the countryside around is beautiful. Um, and he had a great time then. Yeah. Um, and it gets a bad rep, Burnley, but until people actually go there, they don't they don't realise how nice it is. Oh, it's a it's a good point. And we spoke a little bit about your kind of playing style, and Wikipedia has a great big paragraph, doesn't it, about playing styles? That quote from uh, Jim Gannon, your old Peterborough manager, and it talks about he thinks he played you best when you had other players doing your defensive work for you. Now, how? <laughs> What's the reality there and how does that compare with the role that you were given at Burnley where you suddenly became the best pair of legs, the best runner that the Premier League's ever seen? Uh, I think that shows how good of a manager Jim Gannon was with that quote. Um, I've always I've always run, um, even at Peterborough, my, I think because the stats weren't really available to everyone back then. Um, but I remember I was running like 14Ks for like Peterborough and um, I think... I actually did say when I played the hole against Burnley, I did a 14k and he couldn't believe what, how far the stats were. So that might have got me in that move, actually. Um, but yeah, I think when you're playing in the Premier League, it's going to be a lot of defending. So he, he likes his wingers, like me and Scotty Arfield, were always doubling up with the fullback. So he had to put a shift in. Um, I just think everything's magnified in, in the Premier League where it shows if, if you're running and the stats are there, then. Once you, you get a bit of a success, then those stats will be really available for everyone to see. It did think to did feel to me a little bit um, that when you came in, I remember, you know, as we do whenever Burnley sign a player, we go on YouTube and look at the highlights clips. I mean, even more so these days with players coming from from all around the world and you're like, you know, what how, what do we know about this player? And I, I remember doing that with, with you as well and looking at, at some of your highlights, mostly from Peterborough. And I'm like, oh, this is a number 10. You know, he plays behind the strikers. He's, he's a very creative flair player. He's got long hair and he's got, you know, that, that bit of flash about him on the field. And I always wondered, you know, was it just purely like, was that misleading impression that we had? Or did, did Dice really sort of almost, did he have to force you to, to play that much more sort of up and down role on, on the left? Was it a big shift for you, really? Yeah, yeah, it was different, a different style of play. I, I'd, I'd always say now, I'd always say 10 was my best position. Um, 
and best attacking and scoring goals and getting assists. So I think definitely it was a change of role when I came. Um, and I'd never really played on the right wing before either. Um, so that that was a change. I'd always like playing on the left and you see a lot of my goals on my left foot at that angle on the, on the side of the uh, 18-yard box into the bottom corner. That was my standard goal. So it was a different um, different role going on the right-hand side, but I, I probably enjoyed um, playing there and you like the wingers cutting in. So, um, yeah, it was it was different to how I played at Piro. I was just go out there, get on the ball and do what you want, really. Yeah, I mean, just wanted to ask about that kind of first season with Burnley in the Premier League. Obviously, I think you were part of that whole team that had finished as runners-up to get promoted. Um, obviously, relegated with Burnley in that first Premier League season. I think you were player of the year, weren't you, that year? Yeah. How much was that experience of you had kind of getting promoted with Hull key to Burnley getting promoted? I mean, we had that incredible season, didn't we, when we, we won the championship. We had a few players in there who'd perhaps tasted promotions or been as part of promotions before. How important was that for, for Burnley to bounce straight back to the Premier League? Yeah, I think it was huge. And then obviously the experience that we had as a season in the Premier League, I think that helped as well. You get a sort of a confidence playing in the Premier League when you do come down to the Championship that you, you want to get back there and you feel you have a bit of a springy step so you think you deserve to be back there as well but if you remember rightly we didn't really start that well that season it took a while I think a little bit of a hangover from, from the Premier League relegation um, but I think that whole game around Boxing Day was the turning point we got battered didn't we um, I think it was 3-0 um, at home and then, and then we didn't lose a game after that so um I think pe- bringing people like the experience of Joey in as well, and he sort of ran the change room for us. Heats as well as as captain, he he was massive. Ben, me, we had some big characters in there, big leaders that. Um, and we talk about the the team spirit was was nothing I've never experienced. Like everyone in it together, no no idiots. Everyone's for the same goal to get promotion. I think that showed um, in those twenty three games towards the end of the season, big pressure games that we had as well that where everyone delivered. You mentioned a couple of players there and we're going to ask you about people like Trips and, and Ings there. I mean, that, that Burnley team, in retrospect, it had some, you know, future England internationals in there, people who've gone on, won La Liga, Champions League, you know, played in the Champions League, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. It, it felt, at the time, it perhaps didn't feel like that to us fans. We knew everybody was good players and things like that. How How... You know, was it obvious to you playing with some of them players like Trips and Ingsy that actually, you know, we get back in the Premier League and they they are then going to perhaps go on to to become what they have become? And I know Ingsy's had a few injury issues that ruined his trip. You know, he's he's moved to Liverpool, but Trips especially. I mean, back in the Champions League again this season with Newcastle. Yeah, I think especially with Trips, you could you could tell, couldn't you? If you watched him week in week out, he, he rarely got beaten one v one. His delivery. I love playing with him because I could just just put the ball in behind him. I could I knew he was going to get the money every time. I could just run in into the space and he would just clip it in behind their fullback. And his delivery, how many set pieces we scored as well that season from Trips delivery. And, and you can see how well he's gone. He's he fully deserves the career he's had. And even last season, he got he got me loads of fantasy points. He, he was unbelievable, wasn't he? Um, so yeah, he, he deserves everything. Ingsy. So sharp around the box, his finishing was, was fantastic. You could see that um, training with him every day. And as you say, he's been unlucky with injuries, but um, still a top Premier League striker. And talking about internationals, you're an England C international, Scotland B. Where do your allegiances genuinely lie? 
I'd say I, I was English, but obviously born in England. But um, yeah, very proud. My granddad was born in Glasgow, so a huge moment for for him and the family out there to um, to represent Scotland. Um, yeah, so only two caps I think I got. So um, should have been a few more. I, was, I remember playing. I was playing week and week out in the Premier League and and not getting picked, um, which was a weird one under Strachan. So I think I could have got a few more um, caps, but yeah, but very proud that I got them. You got more Scotland caps than Scotty Arfield, though. Didn't you? <laughs> uh, no, well, that was that was the thing. It was me and him playing week in week out. We couldn't get in. I think that's why he went to Canada because he just wasn't getting a look in. Yeah, I mean that's a weird thing about. I mean, a little bit later with with players who were in for sort of talked about for England contention. You know, Tarkovsky was 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 often and Nick Pope, both. Uh, uh, you know, were considered by a lot of pundits to be people Gareth Southgate could have been bringing into his side. And I remember talking to one of the one of the players at the time who said Southgate just doesn't doesn't really like the way Burnley play and doesn't think that that that's going to suit uh, players coming into his England setup. Was that was that a feeling players had around the club at that time? Yeah, because if you look at their performances, I think if they were playing for any other team. In the Premier League, they'd be straight in. I think Ben Mee should have been called up. The way he played, he's but top, top performing centre half in the Premier League for seasons and, and never got a look in. And I think just from the outside, he, he gets a bad rep because he, he was at Burnley, and um, there's no other reason for it because his stats, bats, and his performances, he should have been ahead of, of a lot of other players that went in. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, looking back on the on on those days, you've you've had a promotion campaign there. The camaraderie that must develop during a, a promotion season must be something else. Tell us a little bit, a few stories about you know the the away trips and the and and some of the fun you must have had because you did look like a band of brothers, really. Yeah, I think you do. You get a special bond even now. If we'd all to meet up for a beer, it, it, it'd be like we never left. I think when you get promoted with a team and go through so much adversity and, and lots of struggles and when you do get it um it, it's an unbelievable feeling and the Charlton away game was just um incredible what a day that was and then stayed in London after as um the gaffer put on a, a lovely like, do over at St Paul's um he'd rinsed out a nice one of his mates I think at a bar so we had a party there and all went out and then we was back to Burnley on the Monday weren't we um for the bus parade and then we was out in Burnley on the Monday night and this Bar that I can't only describe as a sauna. It, it was definitely a help and safety um, against it. It was about 200 people in this little bar. Um, no one could move, sweating everywhere. But like, those are the stories that you'll never forget. It was just like, an unbelievable few days. Greasy knows that bar, do you? I probably He's frequented it. I'm trying, I'm trying to think which one it might be. But I mean, I used to go in Smart Water Jacks quite a bit. And that, that feels very much like <laughs> the walls were wet through. Yeah, yeah, it was like a little upstairs bit. Um, just so many oh, people. Oh, the three levels, brilliant. yeah? Yeah, it was one of those, yeah. Smacks. You were out in smacks, that's what it was, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I remember that bus tour. I do remember that kind of open-top bus tour, and it was just... It was the one where Joey Barton didn't get a medal, weren't it, I think, in terms of uh, the kind of... I don't know who pinched one of the medals, but somebody who'd only made maybe one or two appearances had come along and and, and grabbed grabbed the kind of medal. Now, during that season, we, we were talking about it off off air, you know, it was the um the the Michael Keane goal, wasn't it? Was it Brighton uh for the Keno goal? And you said that uh, Sean Dyche has, has kind of sends that clip to people or kind of sent it to you and Keno recently. Again, touching on what Simon said about the kind of camaraderie and you saying, you know, you could all get together and it'd be like you'd never been away. 
have you ever had that with a manager before? Because I mean, Daishi always comes across as this kind of guy who kind of, if you've played for him, you're in that inner circle and there's kind of WhatsApp messages going about. It just gives a bit of a flavour for your relationship with Sean now. Um, yeah, so it was just like in the summer and he um, he'd sent the Kino goal, Brighton and all the celebrations to me and Kino. And then Kino's like, did you get Daishi's message? I'm like, yeah, he just sent me it. And, and like underneath, he was like, I can't remember what he said, but he was like, oh, let's have it, let's have it, lads, or something like that. But he just like reminisces like that, loves it. And then I asked him to do something for a CV for me recently and he literally within two minutes came back, yeah, no problem, wrote me out a nice um, little testimonial for, for a CV that I was doing. But I think that just sums the man up. He, he he's, so, he's so nice and, and grounded still after all the success he's had. And I think if you do well for him, he'll look after you um, until you die. He's that sort of guy. I think for a, for a lot of the world, Sean Dice from the outside, he looks. He, he's, people use words like gruff and abrasive and you know macho and aggressive and all this kind of thing. I mean, obviously, as journalists, we 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 chat to him after the press conferences, and he was great value. He'd start talking about music and films and all that kind of stuff, or you know, off the record with us. And I, I met him a couple of times socially. Once once in uh, in Madrid before. Uh, the Liverpool Spurs Champions League final where he was working for Radio 5 Live and we were in a long queue um, for the accreditation in the blazing heat. And uh, he just came up with the Radio 5 guys. He's like, all right, big fella. And I just started chatting and was like brilliantly friendly that the people rarely are when they're working for the BBC, I have to say. <laughs> but he, but is, he, is he a bit of a misunderstood character? Is is there a sort of softer side to Daesh than, than what people see in those sort of TV interviews where he's got his chest out and his chin out? Yeah, I think I think when you see him, he's always at a music concert or people see him at Glastonbury and stuff, don't they, recently, and he's having pictures with, with fans and stuff. And you'll never say no to a picture. There's no bad stories of when you see him out because he's actually like, genuinely a nice guy. I think it is I mean, not a bravado, but that's just the way he comes across on the TV. But even in when he was my manager, he never very raises his voice. Um, probably once or twice in the three years I was there. Um, he, he doesn't need to shout. I think he comes across stern and, and talks to you properly like men. So I think um, it's definitely a... I think it's the character that comes across on the TV because I, I think he's a generally nice guy and his man management for me was, was one of the best managers I, I've ever worked with. But the pre seasons did look tough. Were they were they yeah. were they as hard as yeah. yeah, they were tough. I think the, the gaffer's day is the one I think uh, is the one everyone talks about. It's just two hours of non stop running. You'll throw that in in the middle of pre season. So you've got some sort of base fitness, um, this this relentless running uh, for two hours. I think he tries to break you mentally with a few stuff like oh, you can't do it, that's it. Might as well quit. I think it's all trying to break you, but um, I think it's getting togetherness as a team as well because you pull each other through and uh, it's good. Once you finish it, you feel a million dollars. There were some brilliant pictures when he took over at Everton after like the second day of training and there's all these players like with their hands on their knees like looking absolutely shattered. I think that's exactly what they needed. Someone like Sean to go in because their fitness levels are miles off it. Um, Just speaking to Michael, they were as a team, just and that showed in their performances. They weren't fit enough. I think they'll be a different animal this season. He's had a full pre-season with him. He'll get his style of play across, and everyone will know their jobs at Everton. I mean, when you when you when you were you know an average Saturday during the season with, with the clubs, different clubs that you've been associated, and I believe you're a Palace fan as a as a kid, yeah. Uh, as a kid, yeah. Yeah. 
So and obviously Peterborough, like a club that must be very close to your heart after you know three spells there, I think it was, wasn't it? Um, yeah. Burnley, you know, but also I imagine you're keeping a bit of an eye on on some of your old mates as well, and Everton, what's going on there? I mean, how many teams are you sort of? Do you feel you have a connection with these days? Oh, at least I'm never bored on a Saturday. At least I'm going to watch a few teams play. But I think Burnley's probably the team that I've gone the most. I've got my tickets today for next Friday, so I'll bring my twins to the City game. Um, I think living in Manchester, it's it's probably the, the twins are massive Man U fans, so he sorts us out tickets to go watch their most games when they're at home. So that's nice. Um, but then midweek games, I've, I watched quite a few Burnley games last year. It's just nice to. They're still close to my heart, so Burnley are definitely the, the team that I follow mostly up here. Are you still a little bit kind of, um, not upset, upset's probably the wrong word, but the way it kind of ended for you, because I think you kind of ended that run of, I think it was seven without a win with that goal at uh, the winner at Stoke and Stoke. We survived, but I, I mean, as I understand, there was no contract extension offered. Did you sense that your time at Burnley was coming to an end? Is there still some kind of regret that you perhaps didn't get that extra, you know, one more season to see what, what could have happened at Burnley? Yeah, I was gutted. I, didn't, I never wanted to leave. I think the offer of Chef Wednesday was a two-year contract. I was 31. But there was no actual offer from Burnley at the end of the season. So um, that was disappointing. Um because I was still ahead of most of all the running stats. I, I still thought I was performing well and I would love to have stayed. I think my biggest regret is leaving. Uh, I didn't enjoy my time at Sheffield Wednesday um, at all. So, But I think the security of two years at, at that age is huge. And um, yeah, but I, I would have loved to have stayed. Did you have any discussions with, with Sean or anyone at the club about why there was no offer coming. I don't see this is kind of the world that we don't really inhabit. Do you do you kind of just get told sorry you're not being offered a contract or does the contract just run out and you find out when the retained list comes out that you you're not on it. I know we had that a couple of years ago apparently when people found out they just weren't they weren't being kept on because they found out on social media or by listening to talk sport. Yeah, I think you just when the when the offer doesn't come in you realise you're not gonna get one and that's it really. There's there was no never a conversation. You're not getting one. Um, it sort of just peters out, and you make make up your, your own mind. You're not you're not getting one. Which, which is the show really. just avoids you in the corridor. Does he just he kind of see? Yeah, his just walk the other way. He just he's straight in back in the changing room or something like that. It's, it always feels yeah, like it's weird, a very impersonal. You know, you you work so hard for a, a club. I know you well recompensed with your wages and things, but it just feels like it's unlike any other industry, isn't it? Where you sign a set term contract and nobody bothers communicating to you that yeah the time to it's to the um, most ruthless business in the world um and it, and it truly is um you you're you're just a piece of meat you really you play i think once you find that when you get into your 30s especially it's um it changes that you, you're done really you're in, the, you're in the downward spiral at, at 30 that's how i felt um from the outside, you still feel brilliant in your body, but I think there's that as soon as you turn 30, it's um, you're only offered one year deals, um, it, two years if you're lucky. Um, and you're finding players now at 32, 33 struggling to even get into clubs to um, to sign deals now. And I think football's changed a lot, and yeah, it's, it's so ruthless, it's, it's scary. Yeah, do you think even though players look after themselves a lot more than they ever ever did in you know 20 years ago? We are seeing players like that who, you know, I mean, Burnley have had, uh, you know, Nathan Redmond come in this summer uh, and people are like, oh, you know, bringing in a veteran with lots of experience. He's only 29. 
I can believe it when he, yeah, he was 29. Yeah. I mean, you've got Andros Townsend as well. Who, I know he had injuries at Everton, but he's coming as a trialist. Apparently, there's an offer there for him. We'll see if that materialises. But again, a player who you don't really think, you know, is, is at the end of, of his career. Do you think that despite players being in so much better shape, that the career is is sort of getting a close, smaller window that you've got? Yeah, I definitely think so. I think you look at probably 33 now where teams are not saying that's probably your, your max, 33, 34. But as you say, with with Ta- um, Townsend and um, Nathan Redmond, they've got that Premier League experience. I think they're two really good signings. Um, I just hope the likes of Zeruri are not going to get less game time because of that because um, I think he'll flourish. He, he was so impressive for me, the best player what I watched last season. Um, and I think he'll thrive in the Premier League. Um, you just hope they're not going to get less game time because of these experienced players coming in. Yeah, I mean, there's a few more younger players coming in as well, isn't there? I mean, what, what, Zaruri did stand out last season and, and Benson obviously had uh, had some brilliant moments as well. Um, but at the back, that's that's been the, the biggest change for me. So I've, I've players like Bayer and uh, Ekdal who can bring the ball out of the back like that. Do you, do you think that they'll stick with that in the Premier League or, or you know, there's a risk to doing that when you're not, Manchester City, isn't there? Yeah, but I think that's the style of play um, company wants to play. So I don't think he'll he'll go away from that. Um, there's going to be mistakes. That they're young boys, but I don't think he'll have a problem with them trying to play out. And at the Trafford, um, the goalkeeper James Trafford looks uh, a brilliant signing. He was unbelievable, wasn't he, in the in the Euros twenty uh, ones. Um, then you got three strong goalies because the Orient boy has signed. He, he's he's done very well last year in League Two. So. Um, do you reckon Trafford will come straight in and be number one, or is it Muriz will be number one? What do you reckon, Greaves? Is Muriz going to keep his spot? I think he has to. I mean, he was superb the other night against Benfica. It was Benfica he played against, weren't it? Um, yeah. I just think you're asking a lot for a for a, a player who's never played above League One to come in and, and face the pressure. I think he's a brilliant goalkeeper. We were all yeah. well excited when we did the podcast after he'd signed. I just wonder whether company might ease him in. I fully expect he'll finish the season as as the first choice, but I don't know whether he'll start it. I don't know. It's, it's That's the fascinating thing, isn't it? I mean, you were lucky you played under, you know, alongside two great goalkeepers in Heats and, and Pope. We seem to have over the last few years a kind of lots of, you know, keepers that will really push each other. Do you feel you need that, you know, especially at Premier League level in terms of, you know, you can't just have one goalkeeper who's decent and one who just knows they're never going to get a game. There's got to be that kind of pushing and vying for position. Yeah, I think you need you need two. And then obviously we had Paul Robinson who was uh, a Premier League experience. So I think you need that third one. And then see uh, uh, Sanchez from Brighton's gone to Arsenal today. So, you, uh, so Chelsea. So you got Kepper and him two like first team goalkeepers pushing each other. I think you do need that, but with Trafford, it's it's a lot of money, isn't it, for him to go and sit as number two. I know he's young, but um, I think it's good that like, they're both pushing each other, both really good with their feet, and they both suit the style of play that the company wants to play. Woody, you had a couple of questions about some of the the more uh, curious games that George played in, yeah. <laughs> what's the what's the future look like? You know, in terms of. We, we we see you with uh, Ryan Reynolds 
Welsh revolution and becoming like a five-a-side superstar. Is that something that, you know, you're doing for fun? You'd like to do a little bit more of? What else is going on? Oh, I loved it. It was it was so good. The tournament was um, fantastic. It was seven aside, um, and we'd spent I think it was a week out there in the end. But Wrexham had—they're um, so popular out there. The fan base they've got now, obviously, to yeah. Reynolds and the other guys, is massive. Um, and they had like they sold seventy percent of the tickets. I think there was twenty-five thousand over the couple of days, and seventy percent were Wrexham fans. Um, it was crazy, but it was brilliant. Um, just waiting for a Burnley uh, Legends team to get made, and I'll be straight in. Um, but it was, yeah, I, I loved it. It was good, um, good player. We had a few very experienced. We had Lee Trundle playing and um, Andy Morell. Um, I think we should have gone a bit further than we did, but uh, it was hard playing two or three games a day. Legs were killing me after a couple of days. Lost <laughs> games, <laughs> legs, yeah, exactly. And I was Steve yeah. Nash. I was Steve Nash. Yeah, so I love basketball. So we played yeah. against uh, Fabregas' team the first game, so that that was incredible. Um, and he's so he's not that much taller than me, so like, how well he was, how good he was at NBA was um, crazy because he wasn't tall, mm-hmm. not that tall at all. Um, Fabregas has put a bit of weight on. He, he didn't play any uh, football, um, but it was just no. great. Yeah, no, he didn't play any. I think he was injured. They retired, isn't he, this summer? So um, I think he must have had an injury. But I think they're going to do it again next year. Um, said Wolves and West Ham were in it as well, um, but they they were on the drink every night, so they didn't get uh, they didn't get very far. No, well, you, could, you could uh, you could tap Phil Bird up for to, to go in goal. I play with Birdie a couple of times a week. He's told me he's, he's quite handy. In goal. He, he is he's the cat on a Sunday morning. Is he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I am the youngest. I'm nearly forty. I'm the youngest or second youngest by a considerable distance. But Phil, for for someone of advancing years, shall we say, if you're looking for a goalie for the yeah, he's the told me. And he he's commentates as well. He commentates he? as he's doing it, so he'll shout stuff like "Get there!" and he's just. You know, he's as passionate as a five-a-side footballer. Uh, so, if you're building a legends team, got you in already, perhaps get Joey in, Big yeah. Phil. Who else would you have in a Burnley Legends seven-a-side team out of the, the lads yeah. that you played with? Who else is retiring? I can't even think. Joey definitely would be in there. Um, Michael Duff, did you play with Duff? Duff, Duff, Duff or perhaps? Get Kite, Michael Kite, maybe in there. Kite, yeah, yeah Kite's would be good, yeah. I think we're winning it next season. I'm not going to lie. I think we're, <laughs> yeah, we're stay, off beer, stay off the beer, stay off the beer. Woody and, and Simon on the touchline out in America. I think we're, I think we're winning that next year. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, well, you, you could throw in a couple of MLS lads into the team, couldn't you? You got Arfield and. Uh... Ashley Westwood playing playing in MLS. Would would you fancy a bit of MLS if if that had come towards the end? No, I never really fancied. But I've, I've been watching Scotty's games. He looks so good out there. Like very um, huge grounds, aren't they? There's a lot of fans, and he he scored the other day, didn't he, Scotty? So uh, yeah, he's um, he uh, he's doing really well out there. And then I spoke to Westy's loving it out there. The lifestyle is, is brilliant. Being with the kids. Yeah, a lot of players love 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 the lifestyle out here, and. Uh, I think I think we'll start to see more and more coming because I'm in Miami and obviously we got we got a few sp- former Barcelona players turned up here. Jordi Alba. Did, did, you, did you go to the game? Yeah, I've been to all of them with with Messi. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. but uh, they started getting in his face last night. But it's uh, see, it's yeah. a different one. Just just to, to sort of wrap up now. Really, I mean, 
when you look back on 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 your time at Burnley, um, what are, apart from that goal against City, which obviously is 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 going to be uh, on rotation on the on the on the YouTube playlist, um, what what are what are your sort of main memories that you look back on and think like these were these were like top top moments? Um, I love the Newcastle away game, uh, the last minute equaliser there. That was a brilliant free-free game. And obviously, we had a few injuries. We, I think we, we lost two or three to, to bad injuries quite early on. Um, Longy went off with ACL, and then uh, that was a great game. Obviously, St James's Park is one of the best grounds to play at um, in the Premier League. Um, and then the Charlton away game to, to seal the tile, that's just probably one of the most special days um, to score. And then we, we just cruised it, really. Even though he did actually go mad at half-time, um, Daichi, um, probably the only time he shouted that season, he went mental at us for um, being sloppy. And then we came out, quickly scored two goals and, and that was the game over. But um, yeah, I think Charlton away, Newcastle's City game at home. Um, and then Barnes' goal away at City, that was another great um, great game to draw 2-2, being 2-0 down as well in that game. Um, uh, yeah, so many memories, just, just great times. Okay. Brilliant. Well, thanks so much indeed for your time, George. It's been it's been really good to hear from you, and uh, glad that you're keeping up with with Burnley as it uh, is now and how it's developing under Vincent Company in this this new season. So it'd be good to get you back on at some stage during the season to give us your thoughts on on how it's going. What what are you up to these days? Then uh, you know, in terms of work wise and so on. Um, I've got a few biotelets up here that I manage uh, now, property wise, and then just being a dad, it's nice just to take the kids to school and all the football clubs and hockey, daughter plays hockey. So it's, it's nice just to do that side of it and, and, and be there and, and do the dad stuff. No coaching badges on, on the horizon? Uh, they're getting away with all the games I want to watch, all the teams. Brilliant. Well, thanks a lot, George. Uh, it's been really, really good to have you and uh, and all the best, yeah? Lovely. Thank you very much. Thanks very much, Simon. That's uh, that's a fascinating conversation with George. There, really good stuff. It's um, it's great to be reminded of that fantastic night against City. What a, a great day that was. Although I have to say, I think you need to be an eternal optimist to hope that we might get the same result next week. Um, in fact, I've been doing a bit of research this week and I immediately wished that I hadn't. Um, <laughs> since, <laughs> since that win, the aggregate score between us and City over the 16 games that we've played is 52-5. Um, that's in all competitions. So that might be a bit of a worry. But um, I am an eternal optimist and I think all those numbers really show us is that we are due a change in fortunes. So anyway, seven days to go and the blue moon is looming very large in the window, but I am not convinced that we have our startup sequence in the right order yet. I don't know what anybody else thinks. Brings us nicely onto our first question for this week, which is, are we a better team than we were last season? We've seen a few outgoings and a decent number of incomings. And we have spent a lot of money. In fact, probably the most money we've ever spent um, in a summer window. But uh, Chris, has that left us with a better squad and a stronger first team than we finished last season with? I think it's debatable whether the starting eleven's better as, it, as things stand. I, 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 you can't argue that the squad is uh, 
he's deeper, he's stronger, there's more experience, a bit more know-how in certain areas. But uh, just, you know, just going through the, the, the squad as a whole, you know, really healthy competition in goal. You know, so a lot of people would imagine that, that Trafford starts, given the, uh, you know, the faith put him in, in him in terms of the, the, the transfer outlay. But with Murich enjoying such a good season and... Uh, Performing so well in pre-season, from what we've seen, it's a, it's a toss-up, really. In, in you know whether as to whether that area is improved or not. But uh, you know, left back, you know, you, you, you're down Matson, so you have to say left back's weaker. Right back's exactly the same. Centre halves, you know, you, you lost Harwood Bellis, you know, gained uh, gained O'Shea, you know. So again, you know, it remains to be seen whether it's stronger in that area. Centre mids, exactly the same. You know, strike force again. You know, you lose Barnes and welcome back uh, back Veghorst. I, I would suggest that's probably you know you know a downgrading in terms of uh, output certainly, and it just just in these wide areas where you know there's certainly more you know especially if Townsend signs uh, you know the, you know the deal he's reportedly been that uh, has been put to him. You know, you throw Redmond into the mix, and uh, it still sounds like there might be more to come in that area as well. So the wide areas look, you know, look very, very healthy. But overall, I say still missing that, uh, you know, that left by centre midfielder and, uh, and probably another another forward stroke wide player. Mm. Obviously, there's still time to, to, to bring in even more names. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But so far, we seem to have strengthened in areas where we didn't think we needed it, you know. Greavesy, what do you think? Is that is that the right strategy? Do you think more goalkeepers, more wingers? Have we have we got that right? Yeah, I think we we mentioned that before, didn't we? I think you pointed out a couple of weeks ago. We, you know, he's adding players in areas where we didn't really see an issue, and the areas where we see an issue, up front perhaps, centre mid perhaps, left back definitely, we we've not upgraded. Now, I do think it's probably easier to get the players that we've got in earlier in the window and as the kind of window progresses we we seem to be being linked now with with different players I think you know we've you know probably given up on Matson given the Pochettino quotes you know he looks like he might get some kind of chance whether that's just Pochettino kind of keeping him uh, sweet and getting him to sign that new contract I'm not sure but he's certainly been used quite a bit in America for Chelsea um, but we're now being linked and we'll come on to players and things um, we you know we are being linked with players now in areas where we expect it to strengthen. Now, maybe them deals just take a little bit longer because clubs know that we're desperate to strengthen in those areas. And we've talked about the Burnley premium and the fact that you, you will pay more because people just suddenly expect us to have a ton more money. And there's that desperation that we need to kind of fill those voids. Um, but we would, you know, I'm not sure if we're, that much worse off apart from in the areas which we've mentioned so we you know as chris pointed out you know quite articulately there's there's obviously certain areas where we definitely are left back um and probably up front are we weaker in center midfield well we've not really lost anybody in that center midfield but the question there is are we strong enough in that center midfield for the step up in class and i think that's sometimes what we've got to look at it's not that we're necessarily weaker it's just, are we strong enough to, to compete at that level? Um, but, you know, with the names that have been linked and, you know, it looks like Lukonga is going to get over the line. 
I, I'm convinced that he's that missing jigsaw piece in that middle. Right. Simon, do you think we're we're stronger now? Do we need to be stronger, do you think? Yeah, we need to be stronger. Uh, I mean, we clearly aren't now. I mean, we, as, as the guys have just highlighted. Um, but I do think we will be um, because I think, obviously, company is not an idiot. He knows we need to replace Martin if he's not coming. Um, he knows that we probably don't have enough firepower in attack, let's put it that way, with lots of attacking options, but an actual central mm. striker who's going to score lots of goals. We don't know how well uh, Zeki Amdouni is going to adjust to the Premier League, but let's be fair to the kid. He's a young lad coming from Switzerland. The odds on him hitting the ground running and starting scoring week in, week out in the first half of the season are, are pretty limited. So we do need to address that, and I think they will do. I mean, Lukonga is a player who was mentioned right at the start of the window, and now it looks like that's going to happen. So I have a feeling that although we spent a lot of money, um, the real business is yet to come. I certainly hope so, but I, I have that feeling that like the, there might be some big deals here that pushes. And I think Greaves has been talking about, you know, eighty million as being a possible spend. I could see it hitting a hundred. I could see it in a hundred. Mm. Woody, what do you think? Hundred million would would that would that give us a squad that's going to keep us in the Premier League next season? I haven't a clue. Like everybody else has said. I think if you were to close the window tomorrow, I'd be slightly worried. I don't think we're competitive. Yes, we feel to have got more of what we had last year, but I'm not overly sure that last year this side would be competitive within the Premiership. So I think those. Right. I think there's still some marquee signings, and we know what they are. We've spoken about them every week, and everybody else knows who they are. But they mm. need to be filled, and they need to be filled not with like for like tack players need a good well a shit up striker we need somebody in the middle of that park who is going to improve not just make up numbers um but like simon said i'm very confident that we'll we'll do it and so i think asking this question again in a week or two or towards the end of the um the window I think it yeah. looks slightly different. It's not like the old days, is it, where we were sort of waiting on transfer deadline day and about eight o'clock we get the message through. Uh you know, yeah. nothing nothing's happening today. It's not like it's not like those days, is it? Dale Stevens, is he gonna get a mention? I'm not <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he did. That, thought, that did cross my mind, but uh we can leave we can leave him out of it for now. I, hey, but, I mean Hendrick, it does seem Jeff, like a... Jeff Hendricks on a free. Right, well, let's move on to some real. <laughs> let's let's, let's move on to some real potential names. You, you've already mentioned uh, Lukonga. I think uh, Sasha on Twitter has, has sort of said that, that that's gaining some traction this week. So that that could be the 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 biggest, um, the, the most important one, couldn't it? That could be finally the 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 player that replaces John Deere after all these years. Um, another one that's come in, I think today or yesterday, Fab has, has got us um, aiming to sign Mohamed Durami from uh, Ajax. He's, he's another winger. So, Simon, I think you suggested a, a swap deal might be in order there. Well, there have been reports uh, in the Dutch press that Ajax are interested in Vuk Weghorst, um, which has had an interesting reaction from Ajax fans, including one that I know personally. Um, <laughs> Positive, who no doubt. 
who amazingly seem about as enthused about Vuvegos arriving at Ajax as, as Burnley fans did about him turning up at Gawthorpe the other week. <laughs> um, but if we could pull off getting a, a first-team winger from Ajax, who is a player who is a Champions League-level player, if we could if we could pull that off, and as half the fee being Vuk Vegost off our books, out of the training ground, and that problem solved, that to me is a genius bit of business. However many wingers we have, yeah, that it would that a would real be prospect, a, yeah. That would be a very handy solution to that particular problem, wouldn't it? Um, and I think he'd be. I, looking, I, yeah. I think he'd be a good signing for for the, the Dutch league. I think he'd do. I think he'd do better there than he would than he's done in the Premier League. Is he part of the Ajax way though? That's I think that's the thing Simon alludes to. He's uh, probably not seen along those lines, is he? But uh, but see, it's interesting with with Daremy. They they spent a lot of money on you know. It's a Danish international, young lad. He's come from Copenhagen and spent a season last season back on loan after Ajax has spent something like twelve million euros on him. And uh, you know he's, he's he's gone back to uh, to Denmark and and contributed to them winning the league and. Uh, yeah, you do wonder whether you know he, he sees you know the opportunity to play in the Premier League as a, you know a real uh, you know a real challenge. But he's just sort of reading like bits and pieces. He, he just ticks every every company box really. You know, he's he, he's he's direct. He, you know, he's got you know his goal threat. His assist numbers are good. Electric pace that we talk about all the time. That creativity. You know, it sounds like his technical ability could do with some. Uh, you know, some honing on the training ground, but uh, just in relation to sort of Danish prospects, I mean, we all remember watching uh, Damsgaard in the Euros, where he was he was magnificent and uh, ended ended up at, uh, at Sampdoria and has ended up uh, <laughs> ended up at Brentford, where he's had a quiet time of things. But his uh, his stats are very comparable with uh, with Damsgaard, and uh, I say just got that 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 bit more in terms of uh, in terms of pace. So. Uh, there's just no mm. end to the links with wide players. They seem to have cornered the market on uh, who are the next big thing in terms of in terms of wide players coming through in the European market. Mm. So the last two names I've got are perhaps a little bit more sketchy, not quite as reliable sources as the others. There's there's talk of us being interested in French fullback Sasha Joey from Galatasaray, our Turkish correspondent, Chris. Um, is he is he the solution to our to our left back situation? Do you know anything about him? I say my knowledge is entirely restricted to what my you know the, my my guy at Besiktas tells me, and uh, <laughs> no Galatasaray is not on his radar, unfortunately. But uh, I say French, you know, French right back, twenty two year old. He's uh, oh, he's a right back, is he? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right yeah. You know, played uh, you know fairly regular. When, when Galatasaray won the won the Super League uh, last year, gets a, gets a f- assists. I mean, four assists from full from right full back. You know, we're sort of talking mm. Vincent Company's numbers there, aren't we? Really, but uh, it's just cost seems prohibitive. You know, the mm. sort of f- figures being banded around like twenty five million euro. I mean, even with the money Burnley is seemingly able to spend at the moment, it, it looks out of out of Burnley's. Uh, Burnley's range at the moment. Greasy, we don't seem to be hearing much about left backs, do we? Have you have you got anything on your radar in that department? I think uh, Matson seems to be off the table now, doesn't he? 
Yeah, there was a lad from uh, from uh, Feyenoord, wasn't there? The the Dutch uh, young Dutch international uh, Hartman, I think it is. Um, and he he again is somebody who seems to fit the Vincent Company kind of figures um, from from his stats and things. He had a, again a decent season last season. Again, they won their respective division last season. You can almost see what Company's trying to do. You know, if he's bringing the right back from Galatasaray, they won their division. You know, you bring in the the lad from Ajax. He helped Copenhagen win their division. Hartman from um, from Feyenoord. Feyenoord again playing under a manager who was linked with some big. Do you think he was linked with the Spurs job? And I think most people expected him to um, to at least consider that. But a bit like Company decided to stay at Feyenoord. So again, it's these kind of technical players you know gone are the days when you know someone like charlie taylor and i was having this discussion with somebody the other day about charlie taylor there's 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 absolutely nothing wrong with charlie taylor as a left back Mm. but there's everything wrong with charlie taylor as a left back in a vincent company system because it's it's this weird full backs you know company without Charlie ever really playing much at center half suddenly came in and went i I see charlie taylor as a center half rather than a left back yeah I do, I do remember uh, Ajax coming to play uh, in that uh, pre-season friendly after the after the championships, and it was like it was like royalty turning up, even though it was only their their sort of reserve team, really, wasn't it? There was quite a young young set of players that on team, the pitch that team that went on to win the European Cup three years later, though, wasn't it? Basically, absolutely, it like yeah, right, right, Reitzinger and people like that, and. Uh... To, to think now that we we are sort of in the market for buying first team players from that side is is quite a remarkable uh, change over the years. the The last one on my list, Woody, is Aaron Ramsey from Villa. What do you is is that one to excite you? I think he's a bit more of an attacking midfield option. He excites me enough. What I've seen yeah. of him, he looks like a very solid, solid player. I think. Uh, We've spoken amongst ourselves that it might be a little bit of a, a bridge too far as a signing, um, but it would be it would be an interesting one. It'd be it'd be good intent if we could get somebody somebody along those lines. But I'm getting I'm getting transferred out. I've got like transfer rumor fatigue. You know, <laughs> if we had that 0898 number as we did back in the day, I'd be I'd be moderately rough. Cost is again, yeah, yeah. So that's all the names I've got for now. Obviously, we're we're still harbouring hopes that um, some of those lone players we lost last season um, might come back. The big one, of course, is Nathan Teller. Um, That move seemed like it might be a bit further away this week after a strange TikTok intervention, but uh, we're going to talk about that next. So free teller is is what we're all saying. Um, if you haven't seen this, uh, I, 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 I I might powers of uh, explanation uh, are lost on this one. So I'm going to have to ask Greasy to give us a little bit of a rundown on what at first looked like a prelude to a, a signing announcement earlier this week, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, we run our WhatsApp group. Having seen it, so let's start from the beginning. So, um, the the daughter of Alan Pace, who we know has been doing kind of some media stuff within the club, um, and um, 
you know, posting videos of behind the scenes with her family and with a dad, Alan Pace, of course. And uh, we, we've seen their kind of travel vlogs, if you will, on, on YouTube. Posted this incredible video um, where she's basically sticking up lost, you know, almost like lost puppy posters. Free Nathan Teller, have you seen this man? All around Burnley. You know, it's on the town hall steps. It's on the Mission to Burnley mural. It's on the, you know, everywhere you can think about putting them. And it's very well shot. And it's talking about free teller and all this. Lot. And I've got to be honest, I thought it was the most genius piece of marketing I'd ever seen as a prelude to an actual announcement video. And then we get word from very reputable sources that the deal we all imagined had been signed and sealed and we were just getting ready just to kind of capture some social media elements to then use in a in a video to announce Teller's signing finally after all these these weeks turns out that actually the, the deal is nowhere near done <laughs> and Southampton by all accounts are pretty miffed that the the daughter of the chairman and Alan Pace retweeted this and Alan Pace had it on his Instagram feed it's still on there um basically a video that's essentially in her own words from some communication that we've seen is aimed at getting Southampton to loosen their grip on Nathan <laughs> Teller and allow him to come back to play a place where he wants desperately wants to play now Southampton have kept very quiet counsel on all this but I have noticed that at every opportunity there's a picture of Nathan Teller smiling very happily <laughs> and joining in with all the fun and games at the Southampton training ground, at the media day, at the squad number unveiling. They are literally kind of playing tit for tat. So I'm not sure where it's going to end. I, I still maintain that if, you know, if it had been a prelude to an actual announcement video, I think it's an absolutely incredible idea. Yeah. I, thought it, I thought it worked really, really well. It's on TikTok. It's all about them kind of, you know, reaching new platforms. Um, and I'm quite, you know, I've got to give a credit. It was well put together. As a not a prelude, it's got, you know, FA charges of tapping up players. <laughs> slightly embarrassing when he doesn't turn up at Turf more vibes to it. So, yeah, I'm not sure. I, I know other people have kind of slightly dimmer views of it than, than I did. But I thought, I thought it was brilliant. I thought what she was trying was, was great. It's just not in the context I expected it to be in. No, it was very strange, wasn't it? I can't wait to hear what Woody's got to say about it. <laughs> it just is, isn't it? You know, it's like somebody obviously said, "Let's do some uh, social media out of the box thinking," and uh, in a way, we went. I mean, in a way, it's yeah. kind of it's kind of harmless, and then in a way, it's like Greasy just been saying it, it is a little bit more harmful than we probably give it credit for. Have we, you know, have we pissed off Southampton? What then goes on behind the scenes? Who's pissed off? Where, you know, is it upsetting? Uh, the apple cart with regards to Vincent and what's going on with all yeah. of that business. We don't know. We don't know. I'd and would love to know what Vincent uh, thinks about it. But it did. It did seem really, really strange, didn't it? It did seem like, a, like the the sort of other bits of communication we've seen about it seemed to suggest it was more than just that that one thing. But things have gone a little bit quiet on the free teller front for mm. the for the rest of the week, hasn't it? So I wonder if they've had second thoughts. Um, Simon, do you think that it makes it more or less likely that we're going to get that deal over the line if if a deal is indeed in the offing at all? I mean, at the end of the day, money talks, doesn't it? So if Burnley go back to Southampton and say, here's 20 million for Nathan Teller, um, they're not going to say, 
okay, fine, but we didn't like Ashlyn's video, so we're not doing the deal. That's not going to happen, right? So, mm. I mean, I think I think what it is a case of really is like a really good idea, um, a really fun social media idea that fits in with the sort of themes and sort of vibe that they've gone for with those reveal videos and that kind of thing. But just somebody needed to say, no, not in this way, not now. No, this this is not the way you do it. Because it's, you know, you it is part, you know, we, we laugh about these reveal videos and so on. But you it is also the corporate voice of Burnley Football Club when you put things on social media. It still is, mm. even though even though we laugh about Teletubbies and stuff like that, and it's all a bit of fun. When it's somebody else's player and you're possibly in a negotiation for a transfer with it, mm. it is, unfortunately, you know, this sounds really boring and like, you know, um, officious about it, but it is the corporate voice of Burnley Football Club. And there's a reason why all these managers trot out these lines whenever they're asked about players in the transfer market that I'm not talking about a player who's on the contract with another club. Now, is it tapping up? I don't think it is tapping up. It's just a bit naff, really, and a little bit amateurish. I ran it past a couple of friends who are in the PR business and, and they were like, no, this is amateur hour. You shouldn't be doing this. And somebody, I'm not having a go at her at all. She seems a really nice girl. The other videos she's done have been fun. She seems full of enthusiasm for the club and everything. But maybe in this case, somebody should have just said, no, not really. It does make you wonder about the hierarchy there if 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 somebody didn't do that, if there wasn't somebody above her who could say, not mm. really, no, this is not the way you go about things during the transfer market. Yeah, there should there should really be somebody who's uh, put press the pause button on that until I the, think so, yeah. the, until the consequences of it are, are fully evaluated. Interesting, though, that it was posted under her account. I, I'm not I'm not sure about this, but I don't think she's a, an actual employee of the club, is she? Do we know anybody? Well, she's told people she works in the in the media department. Right, right, okay. I, don't, I haven't seen, a, you know, anything in, a, in an organisational chart where she features there. I don't know, but she, she has been, you know, indicated she's working with the media people. But she might Involved be working with the media way. people in her own sort of yeah. freelancing, hey, Dad, can I do this with the media department sort of way. It struck me as the sort of, like, sort of project you might do as a sort of college course requirement to fulfill some sort of module, you know what I mean? That kind of thing. Hey, Interesting. Good use I mean, for the specials. Good use for the specials, though. Well, I don't know. That's I don't think, yeah. Free <laughs> Nelson. I mean, actually, that's the main thing that was wrong with it, isn't it? Free Nelson Mandela <laughs> on a video like that. Doesn't I mean, that, was, that was my biggest problem with it. It was. I mean, I know similar, a lot of... similar sort of experiences that the Nathan Teller and Nelson Mandela have both had. I think it's an idea. Good grief! Yeah, it was all a little bit. Well, let's just describe it as ill-advised. Um, and uh, I think we've had enough of that nonsense. So let's move on to something else. So the Holy Trinity of kits is now complete. Our our third kit was revealed this week, and uh, I think it's I think it's fair to say that it's gone down a little bit better than the away kit. Woody, are you inspired enough by the iconic floodlights of Turf Moor to shell out for one of these shirts? No, 
<laughs> right. No, I mean, yeah, um, we, 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 we've gone, we've gone from that away shirt, which is pretty dire, to this, which is just abjectly dire. You know, it really isn't much of a benchmark that we set with that away shirt, is it? And it's just these weird bubbles. Everybody looks weird in it. I mean, whatever. You know, you need three shirts, don't you? And it probably looked good on the TV, so we'll wait and see. But um, yeah, I, can't, I can't say that I'm overly enthused or I'm going to buy it, even if it gets like discounted by me. No, it's like a it's like a weird sort of design, isn't it? It's kind of a, a sort of dark blue body with. I'm calling it light blue bokeh, which is uh, which they're claiming has been sort of uh, inspired by the floodlights at Turf Moor, which seems a bit of an odd place to take <laughs> to take your inspiration. I think they even described the floodlights as a as kind of uh, as iconic, didn't they? I don't know whether they, I, I've ever thought of them in, in that way. Um, <laughs> I mean, never stared at them and thought, "Wow, just the, iconic I still, I still see. I, I'm still surprised to see them. Actually, I still see the ones that were there before they built the new stands. Actually, <laughs> what about you, Chris? Is it an iconic design for you? Um, I, I, I think it's a grower. Actually, I've been seeing it on different different angles. I mean, we're, we're looking at. You know, third strips up and down the land are like an excuse to get, you know, a bit free, a bit, a bit free and easy with the the creativity. You know, the graphic designers can go a bit mad, and uh, not as not as much of a hit as you know as, as some strips I've seen uh, this summer. But uh, yeah, it's, it's sort of growing me on on uh, you know, a little. I, I think the I think the three offerings have been pretty poor on the whole, and I'm mm. disappointed when you know you, you look Umbro up and down. Up and down the country and up and down Europe have, have produced some fabulous. I look at Car, even Carlisle United in League One, absolutely fabulous sort of like nineties uh, strip that they've that they produced for them. And uh, I think mm, Hull of Hull of three, Hull of three good strips, etc. And uh, just yeah, it's probably my favourite of the three. But I'll, I'll not be parting uh, with 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 any thumbs. I don't think. I'm not a fan of it, to be honest. I think it's just, it doesn't say Burnley to me. It doesn't speak like it. It doesn't look, no, look it like doesn't. a Burnley kit to me. I think the home kit's the best one. But, what, Greavesy, what do you think? Are you going to be uh, striding down Harry Potts' way in this one? No, I mean, I'm a real tight bastard. I'm still waiting for him to knock more than a five off any of last year's kits, to be <laughs> honest. Because if they get them down to 20 quid, I'm having a trio of last year's kits. Because I actually genuinely think they were brilliant kits. They were, I, weren't they? The third kit is the best of the lot, I think, for me. I think um, the home shirt is definitely growing on me, and I thought it looked fantastic when we played mm. uh, Betis without the sponsor. I know we keep banging on about the sponsor, and it's, you know, I, I just think it looks a brilliant shirt without the sponsor, and I think it looked great because of the Spanish ban on on betting sponsors. We were forced to wear it without one. Um, this one does look a bit like a training top. Um, and I actually mm. arguably think the training wear that we've got, the, the kind of minty green kind of training top, actually I think is is quite nice. And the the warm-up tops that the lads wore uh, pre-Betis, you'd have mm. almost taken any of them two as a kind of design for a third or an away kit and kind of gone, well, it doesn't scream Burnley, especially the, the kind of the bluey-green um, training top. But it it's not trying to shoehorn in. I mean, we've been told that the home and away kits are meant to match the Wembley season and the Wembley se- the, the season after Wembley. And then mm. this one's iconic floodlights. I think Chris mentioned we could have just done a tribute to the Parkview Chippy. 
Um, <laughs> and that has been more iconic than, than the floodlights. I'm the same as you, Justin. I see the old floodlights, me, that, that towered yeah. over the beal. And I almost think if you did kind of incorporated that kind of design into it, then we might have, you know, we might have been in a position where you kind of go, well, actually, it's got a bit of thing. Somebody did point out the bit where it says clarets on the back of the neck is the same font as used on the Wembley video. So I'm now beginning to think that that's the nod. You know, when we keep going, I can't right. get where the nod is. It's literally just the word clarets. We've the used the same font. font. Yeah, yes. That's it. But yeah, yeah I won't find like any cash. Yeah. The old Burnley Express uh, specials that we used to knock out sort of uh, it does, yeah. Yeah, it does, yeah. by biannually. But to, name, name me some iconic floodlights. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they just I, I've never once looked at a pair of floodlights. Like, yeah. They're iconic. At, uh... <laughs> Simon, you but do you buy into this suggestion these kits are inspired by the history? Do, do you see do you see um, a celebration of the special feeling of a night of football under the lights. I mean, I'm fed up of kids being inspired by things. Why, why do they have to be attributes and, and be inspired by things? Like, I mean, I, know, I get it. These, these design companies get given um, a blank sheet of paper to work with and they're supposed to come back to the club with something that's got a hook and they're trying to sell an idea to the club and they say, you know what we're going to do, you know. Um, you finished seventh in the third division in 1994, so we're going to, you know, yeah. whatever. I mean, just produce a really nice kit that has the club's colours and that is modern. I mean, that Hearts kit is probably inspired by something, but the reason why it's good isn't that it's inspired by something. That white one with just the heart on it yeah, is because that. it's so simple and clean and crisp exactly. and classic yeah. looking. And the same with West Ham's away kit this year, which, again, looks better without the sponsor on it. But it's white, and they've even used the umbro and the badge in a sort of white white uh, indent, if you like. Um, mm. These are, like, really nice ideas about design, not about being inspired by something. So just just leave it alone. Like, I mean, what what are we going to end up... What, what else can we be inspired by around Burnley? What else is iconic? I mean, you know... We're you... back to the park view chippy again, aren't we? Let's we be are. honest. What yeah. I like, well, I like the, the Birmingham away kit looks great because it's a really modern design. It's basically just a, a kind of a, I don't know what I would describe it. It's kind of a pinky salmony coloured with with black kind of shapes on. And But what they've done actually, interestingly, is all of the kits are slightly different because they're reducing material waste. So they've got a roll of material that they're using for the kit and it says each one will have an ever so slightly different design. Now, I imagine mm. the players' shirts, because the regulations, will all be identical. But again, it's it's quite nice. It's just, it's exactly what Simon said. It's a modern kit. It's not trying to be kind of fancy. It's just, we've got this kind of abstract design on a shirt that is going to, you know, stand out away from the blue, blah, blah, blah. And it's an, the interesting concept is the fact that every shirt's slightly different. Um, but that is, the, you know, I That's agree. the modern bit, isn't it? That's kind of the, uh, yeah. the sort of bringing it into yeah. the, you know, recycling and eco-conscious. So I think um, I think we're, in general, that's three thumbs down for all three kits this this season, isn't it? Not a vintage year. Um, I My personal favourite is the home kit, but yeah. I, I just... I just think that 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 sponsor's logo is going to ruin any kit, so it doesn't really matter to me. I I, I do hope the club um, starts starts selling those 
shirts without the sponsor on, I would certainly pay a bit more. We've talked about that before, but I think that that's the only way they're going to get me to uh, to shell out for any one of these three. I'm going to buy a and JJ it, Watt cap instead of a kit this year, I think. I really like those caps. He's, he's selling and all the money. It's a good cause as well, isn't it? Yeah. Food bank and all that. So I'm, I'm going to buy a JJ Watt cap and walk around with that on instead of uh, WW88 or whatever the code on in front of me. So, so what's the story behind that, Chris? A good cause? Yeah, the food bank, isn't it? Yeah, he's going to put the money towards... Uh, so, you know, some of the proceeds are, I can't remember, all of the proceeds. Are 100% the proceeds. of profits, he said. Yeah, 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 towards the, you know, the Burnley Food Bank. So, uh, yeah, especially, you know, especially at the times we're, uh, we're uh, going through at the moment, a, a really noble gesture and, uh, you know, hopefully make a lot of money for them. Well, I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure that's where the money I might have spent on a shirt will go. Anyway, time to move on. So we said last week that the uh, Sky documentary Mission to Burnley is going to be coming out on the on uh, August the 10th. That's the, the, the day before the season starts. Um, something for us all to look forward to. All, all four episodes uh, are going to be available to stream on day one. Uh, yesterday, uh, Sky released a new trailer for the show and it sounded a bit like this. Burnley's a small town and there's only 90,000 people that live here. We are in a relegation battle. I don't think these Americans understand Burnley. And with that, Burnley are relegated from the Premier League. This is a big ask for Vincent Company. The detail he goes into is unbelievable. Come on, go again! He demands so much from us. And we go, we beat them. Absolutely beautiful! And we beat whatever comes after as well. When you're down and people say you're not good enough, trust that we'll finish on top. Listen to the turf more roar! I don't know about you, but when they get these things right, they really send a shiver down your spine, don't they? Simon, I'm looking forward to this uh, a bit more than I was before. What, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, this latest one uh, does suggest that there's going to be a bit more about Vincent Company and the team in this than than some of the focus on, on the ownership. I'm interested in both, um, but I'd like there to be a nice balance. I think for a lot of fans, what they'd really be interested in is the dynamic within the dressing room and, and how Company um, created this team out of out of these disparate pieces last summer and, and, and sent them on the way to the Premier League. That's what I'm mm-hmm. fascinated uh, by. And I am interested to see, uh, you know, how the ownership works. But I just think that you're less likely to get a sort of candid view of that. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. The only problem is there's no indication yet, unless Woody spotted something, of this being released in in the good old US of A. Um, I know Sky have arrangements with people, but um, and I'm sure we will find a way to watch it somehow. Um, but you know, officially, there's no no sign of it appearing on streaming services over here. Yeah, no, I was just I was just looking, and so we'll have to we'll have to dig deep, Simon. Like you say, we'll find it somewhere, but there doesn't seem to be anywhere that's showing it at the same time. It seems difficult to believe that um, with our American connections, they won't sort something out in that regard. Um, we'll have to ask that question somewhere. Chris, are you looking forward to this one? Um, do you, even if it's just a yeah. chance to re, even if it's just a chance to relive the season, it'll be great, won't it? 
Absolutely. I think if you if you look back at uh, sort of I mean, one of my prized possessions is that nineteen you know, nineteen ninety two championship season video. You know, I don't think it's ever got to put on uh, on DVD or anything like that. But uh, it's just fabulous to have, and it, especially of such a such a magnificent season. It's uh, like Simon. I'm interested to see you know, both sides of the coin and, and Vincent's relationship. With the, with the chairman as well as, as well as as the players and uh, mm. how much we get to see of that you know the the wheelings and dealings in, in in the transfer market maybe some you know some of the some of the things behind the behind the scenes on that and uh, yeah you always you're always interested to see who are sort of like the alphas in the dressing room and who sort of runs the show behind the scenes and uh, yeah ho- ho- hopefully it's uh, I mean I'll, I'll probably binge the lot. When it when it comes out and uh, yeah, it's, it, I said it, it looks an absolute spot on production from what we've seen and uh, hopefully lives mm. up to the to the hype. Yeah, it looks pretty good, Greavesy. What 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 are your thoughts on it? What are you hoping to see? I mean, it'd be nice it'd be nice to get a bit, a bit of an insight into how this sort of remarkable transformation took place, but also you don't want them to kind of. There's a worry, isn't it, that they make it a bit more. Uh, sensational for the sake of appealing to a, a non non Burnley audience, if you know what I mean. Yeah, definitely. I just uh, I was just re-listening again there, just while while you were chatting. It's just there's the bit at the end where he just says, or oh, midway through where he says, "We beat these, and then yeah. we beat whatever else comes." And you just think, I've got hair standing up. You just think, what a man. You know what I mean? I just, I mean, I love Vincent Company. I think we all do. And I think that's going to be the fascinating thing for me, the kind of the way he talks about pressure, the way he talks about what he expects from his players. You know, we've seen the Andalet video where he's just tearing them apart because they've drawn one apiece. And he basically said, you've wasted my time. You've wasted your own time. You wasted everybody's time. I might mm. as well play the kids. And you just got, you know, that level of expectation is, is probably what gives me hope that next season's not going to fall flat on its arse. Because I actually think that, um, and you know, and I think we'll find out more in next week's podcast what what's required. No spoilers, but we've got someone lined up to talk about what's what's required at that level. And I think that's what company brings. And it almost doesn't matter, you know. As George was saying earlier, kind of, you are the underdog, but you've just got to do your thing. You've got to play your game. You've got to beat whatever's in front of you. And, mm. you know, company this week basically said, you know, I want to go out with the intention of winning every game. And you just yeah. think where we've been previously to where we are now. You know, I think this documentary two days or a day before we kick off the Premier League season is just going to lift everybody. And I think that yeah. that next Friday night is just going to be sensational under yeah. the lights with this as the kind of appetizer. I'm, I'm starting to get that tingly feeling again now. I don't know about you, but it's it's getting close, isn't it? So that's it, I think. Another episode over. We we hope you've enjoyed it and, and we look forward to speaking to you again next week as the big day dawns. Um, before that, you'll be able to catch up with us again after the last pre-season friendly on Saturday against Mines. Um, we'll be hosting another Twitter space to discuss the game. So um, do come along and join us and, and, and join in. Have your say. Um we're going to have to start calling these X spaces now, aren't we? I think that's you know, that's going to be a bit awkward, a bit, bit of a weird one. Um, 
And don't forget to follow us on X and Facebook for all the latest updates. Um, thanks for listening, and we hope you can join us again next week. Goodbye.